welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, my name is David, and I serve here as an intern. Before we get started into the morning, the message for this morning, uh, we want to just pause and honor the lives that were lost in the events of 9-11 uh, 20 years ago yesterday. Um, there are many who are still hurting, um, who've lost loved ones, thousands who have lost loved ones. And so I want to actually take just a minute and pray for those families. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for today, and we thank you for the fact that we know that you are the God of comfort, and that um, no matter what happens, we can still come to you, and we can still trust that you know what you're doing. And God, there are so many families, even 20 years later, who are still hurting, and you never grow, get over losing someone that you love. And so, God, we, we ask that you would be the God of comfort to them, and that you would just wrap your arms around them and help them see that you love them. And God, we thank you for so many who responded in that moment and who were willing to risk, or even many who gave up their lives and who really followed the example of Jesus, who laid down his life so that we could have eternal life with you, so that we could have a relationship with you. And so, God, we ask that you'd be with those people in a special way. And God, we ask that you would help us as a country to move forward, to learn from this, to, to grow together and not to grow divided. And thank you so much for Jesus. It's his name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about three chairs. And that's why we've got three chairs up here on the stage. And each of these chairs really represents a kind of person based on their relationship with God. And so my goal this morning is actually to help you see which one of these three chairs that you are sitting in. Our goal in, in talking about these, these three types of people or these three groups of people is not to try and uh, judge, not to try and cast judgment. This isn't high school where we're splitting people up into the jocks and the nerds and whatever clicks, ever clicks you want to come up with, right? That's not what we're doing. Our, our goal here really is to um, help you see which chair you're sitting in and be, uh, so that you can know where you're at in your relationship with God and, and really what the Word of God would have to say to you as you're sitting in that chair. And throughout this series, we've been, we've been talking about the house that we call Bridgewater Church, right? We've been, as Luke said, we've been giving you a tour through the house, kind of telling you what we believe and what we think the church should be and what we think the church should do. And today we're going to talk about the people who fill that house. So we've talked about the foundation, we talked about the living room, we talked about the kitchen, you know, we've talked about all these different rooms, and now we're going to be talking about all the, the, the people that make up Bridgewater Church. Who is a part of Bridgewater Church? And as I said, we're going to really see that there's three types of people that make up Bridgewater Church. Have you ever had someone confuse your relationship status? Maybe they thought your father was your husband, or they thought your kid or your brother was your friend, or you know, something awkward like that. Um, I know something that used to happen to, to me and my wife when we were still dating is they used to think that we were siblings. Um, we're both blonde and short, and so when we were in college, for some reason, they were always like, oh, so you guys are siblings, right? And we're like, no, that's, no, please, no, that's awkward. <laughs> She's not my sibling, and I do not want to think of her that way. Uh, I think the worst relationship status confusion came for us when we had only been dating for a few months, and we went to her family's extended, um, her extended family's Thanksgiving day um, party meal, whatever you want to call it. And, and so we show up at this party, and Joanna's sister had recently gotten engaged. And they came in at the same time that we did. And so every, the entire family was doing what you do when someone gets engaged, right? They were all crowded around here. They were looking at the ring. They were all excited that she had gotten engaged. 
But one of Joanna's aunts, one of the more eccentric and loud aunts, um, misheard and thought that Joanna and I, who had just started dating a few months ago, were the ones who were engaged. And so she starts screaming, and she starts making this huge deal, and she grabs Joanna's hand, and it didn't help that she actually had a, a ring on her ring finger on her right hand, which would be the wrong hand, but still, it didn't help at all. And so she starts making this big deal, and so I had to very quickly and firmly explained that we were not engaged, that we had just started dating, which was a lot of fun for someone who's never, I'd never even met most of her family. And so as you can imagine, this was a bit of an awkward experience for us, something we still talk about often. Well, it can be awkward when we get human relationship status confused, right? If you've ever had one of those situations, you know that that can be a little bit awkward. But when we get confused in our relationship status with God, and that has much more lasting, much more eternal, much more drastic consequences. And so this morning, I want to walk you through these three chairs and, and help you know where you're at in your relationship with God. And so you can be firm and you can, you can make sure that you know where you are sitting. So let's take a look at these three chairs and see where we're at. First, we have the committed chair. This is the camping chair that we have right here, this blue camping chair. That's the committed chair. These are people who are committed to God. And there's a lot of examples that we could look at in God's Word to talk about these people, but I think one of the most striking is Caleb from the Old Testament. You first meet him in the book of Numbers chapter 13, and he's one of the scouts that looks at the, the, the promised land for the people of Israel. That's who Caleb is, and he's one of the ones that actually trusted that God would be able to uh, d deliver this land into their hands. Well, fast forward 40 plus years, and now we're in Joshua chapter 14, and Israel has started to enter the land, their promised land, and they're starting to conquer it. And, and here's what we see about Caleb, and starting in uh, Joshua chapter 14, starting in verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, so that's the Caleb we're talking about, right? You know what the Lord said to Moses, the, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow, fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Skip down to verse 13. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Do you notice what was repeated in there three times? It says that Caleb followed God wholeheartedly. The writer's making it incredibly cl clear that this was a man who followed God. This is a man who was committed to God with all of his life. Not some of his heart, not some of his life. He followed God wholeheartedly. And I want you to notice that it says he was committed to God. It doesn't say that he was committed to the religious requirements in the Old Testament. It doesn't even mention that he made all the proper sacrifices. It doesn't even mention that he ate all the proper food, that he washed his hands a certain way, all those things that were required in the Old Testament. It doesn't even mention those things. What it says is he was committed to God. And I think that's an important distinction that we have to make because I think sometimes what we do in Christian circles is we think that we need to be committed to the things that God has called us to do, and we forget that we're supposed to be committed to God. 
Not to those things. I mean, those things matter, sure. I'm sure he was somebody who followed the, the requirements in the Old Testament, but first and foremost, he was somebody who was committed to God. I think we need to make sure that we don't get that confused in our lives, that we don't think that we need to be committed to church attendance, to devotions, to prayer, to any of those things. Guys, we don't even want you to be committed to Bridgewater. We want you to be committed to God and God first. In this series, we've talked about how our church is structured and why we do the things that we do. And as we've gone through it, you may have noticed that all the things that we want our church to be are really things that we want you to be. Because you are what makes up the church. You and I are the church. And we've talked about how we want to be a church that's on mission. We want to be a church that's welcoming. We want to be a church that's living in community. We want to be a church that's serving one another. We want to be all of those things, which means that we want you to be those things. But here's the foundational truth that I don't want you to miss as we wrap up this series. Beyond being committed to mission, beyond being committed to service or any of those things, we want you to be committed to God first. If you get that backwards, if you think that you've got to be committed to those things, you're going to end up with a, a religion that's lost its heart. It's lost its way. It's lost its joy. It's lost its passion. If you make your Christianity about doing all the things that you're supposed to do and you forget that it's about a relationship with God, you're going to miss the whole point. And so as we wrap up this series, we want you to understand that this is the kind of person, the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be committed to God first and foremost. You see, committed people, they make their life about God. Not about religious duties, but about a relationship with God. These are people who have convictions. They have convictions that are based on the word of God, and these convictions are things that shape how they live. They believe something to be true because the word of God says it, and because the word of God says it, that actually changes how they live. These are people who know God. Not just about God, but they know him personally. They know him personally. They have a close relationship with him. And because they're committed to God, they're committed to his mission to make more and better disciples. And that means that they're ready to pack up and go wherever God calls them to go. And that's why this is a camping chair. Camping chairs, guess what? They're real easy to just pack up and take with you, right? Oh, there you are. You're supposed to be easy. Sometimes they don't fold up right, right? But camping chairs are real easy to just pack up and take with you and throw in your car and go wherever God calls you to go. And so that's why this is a camping chair, because committed people are committed to the mission. So here are some, some marks, some things that would describe somebody who is committed to God. Committed people have God as their first priority. Everything in their life is really filtered through their priority of God and their relationship with God. Everything else takes a second row seat. Committed people view God as someone to have a relationship with. He's a father. He's a friend. He's somebody they talk to. There's, he's somebody they relate to on a personal level. Committed people are some people who submit to the Bible. The Bible is the final authority for how they live and what they believe. It's not just a, a book that's fun to read. It's not just a book that's got some stories. It's an authority for their lives because it's God's word. Committed people want godly children. They want godly children. They do all that they can to make sure that their kids are walking closely with Jesus and get to experience life with him. Committed people compare themselves to Christ. And that means that there's no room for pride because Jesus is sinless and he's their standard. But it also means there's no room for crushing guilt and shame because Jesus took care of their guilt and their shame and he loved them in the middle of it. And so that is the first chair that we have this morning, those who are committed. Secondly, 
we have the comfortable. That's the cushion chair in the middle. These are people who are just comfortable with God. Just a few chapters after what we looked at in Joshua, we find the story of the generation of Israelites immediately, immediately following Caleb and Joshua. And so we're going to look at some verses from Judges chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bible. And remember, at this point, the nation of Israel had entered the promised land, and they were beginning to conquer some of it. And God had actually commanded them to, um, to take over the entire land and take the people, remove the people from the land. Not just some of the people, but all of the people. He wanted them to completely conquer it because he had given it to them, and he was actually punishing those nations for their sin that they were living in. And so he had told them to, 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 to take over the entire land. And so... But here's what we see in Judges chapter 1, verse 27. But Manasseh, which is one of the tribes of Israel, did not drive out the people of Bethshan or Tanakh or Dor or Eblim or Megiddo, which are some real fun names, right? Or their surrounding settlements, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Nor did Ephraim, which is another tribe, drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Neither did Zebulon, which is yet another tribe, drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nahalal. And so these Canaanites lived among them. But Zebulon did subject them to forced labor. And it, it continues on like this for six or more verses, verses, but they all say essentially the same thing. They drove out some of the people, but not all of them. In other words, they obeyed partially, but not completely. They didn't obey with their whole heart. They weren't committed they just did some of what God said. And you see, comfortable people, they live for God some of the time. They obey God some of the time. And that's, that's there really are people who are just um, comfortable with God. They're comfortable with Jesus. And that's why this is a comfy chair, because that describes their relationship with God. They're not committed to him. They're just comfortable. They want to become somewhat close to him, but also kind of somewhat close in, to, to doing their own thing and still living their lives for themselves. These are people who maybe grew up in church or who are surrounded by Christianity and maybe at an early age they said they wanted to, to follow Jesus or, or maybe they came to Jesus later in life but now they kind of feel like they and God are good so they can kind of just move on with their life and do what they want with a little bit of God thrown in there, here and there. Maybe they'll go to church on Sundays maybe they'll, or maybe they'll just go on Christmas and Easter a couple times a year but they're going to move on with their lives because they feel like they and God are good. They're comfortable there. And so they want to continue their lives how they want to live. Comfortable people have beliefs, but they don't have convictions that shape how they live. They, they believe something to be true intellectually or theologically. They might state all the right things, but those things don't really affect how they live very much. And when people talk about hypocritical Christians, this is probably who they are talking about. People who say that they follow Jesus, but their life looks very little like Jesus. Maybe they're good at fooling people. Maybe they are really good at saying the right churchy thing. Maybe somebody, maybe people on Sunday mornings, people who see them at church, wouldn't have any idea, but those who are close to them, those who live with them, they know that their church persona isn't really matched by their life. These are people who know about God. They don't know God, but they know about God. They don't really know him personally. They could tell you some facts about, you, about him, sure. Maybe a lot of facts about him, but they don't know him personally. They don't have a relationship with them. And here's some, some marks of comfortable people. Comfortable people have God and self. God and self as their priorities. No longer is it just God, but it's God and self. And this really leads them to a life of conflict because their, their commitment to God and their commitment to themselves are constantly in 
conflict. And this really, I think, leads them to be some of the most miserable people. They're trying to serve God, but they're also trying to serve themselves. And so their lives are divided. Their lives are compartmentalized. And so often they're people who are miserable. They're trying to serve two masters, and that doesn't work very well. Comfortable people view God through the lens of religion and responsibility. They see Christianity as a ritual to be endured, not a relationship to be enjoyed. They think it's something they just need to check off a list, and then they, can, they and God are good, and so then they can, again, move on with their lives. Comfortable people are people who respect the Bible. They're going to listen to it preach. They might read it for themselves, and they might try to even uh, obey some of what it says, but they're not going to ultimately treat it as the authority for their lives. They're going to say, okay, I'm going to pick and choose a few things in here, but I, you know, this part, I don't really like that. That makes me uncomfortable, and so I'm going to just ignore that. I'm going to excuse that. I'm going to come up for some, with some reasons that I don't have to follow that, right? They're not going to ultimately submit to the Bible. Comfortable people want good children, not godly children. They want good children. They're going to focus on outward things and make sure their kids look good on the outside. They're going to focus on things like not doing drugs and making sure their kids don't get their girlfriend pregnant and or, you know, those kind of outward things. But they're not going to make sure their kids are actually walking closely with Jesus because they're not doing that. So how would they help their kids do that? Comfortable people compare themselves to others who they feel are more sinful than them. At least I'm not as bad as they are. At least I don't sin like they do, right? And so that is the second share, those who are comfortable in their relationship with God. Well, last in our third share, we have the non-Christian. And that's the, the folding chair on the end. These are people who really are far from God. We saw the, the comfortable generation in Judges chapter 1. Well, we're going to look at just the next chapter, and we're going to see the second generation that comes up right after that generation in Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They roused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. And his, in his anger against, against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. When Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. And so, by the way, notice that it says, just as he had sworn to them. This was something that God had promised to do. This wasn't a harsh punishment out of nowhere. The people of Israel said, we will follow the Lord. And God said, okay, good. If you don't, I'm going to remove you from the land. And they said, no, we're going to follow you. This was a, a, a consequence that they had chosen. Let's move on to verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Now skip down to verse 19. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices in stubborn ways. And so with that first generation after Caleb and Joshua, we had seen half-hearted obedience, right? We'd seen them, they did a little bit of what God said, but not much. 
And this, this first generation had seen what God did for Israel. I mean, they saw that God parted the Jordan, so they literally walked across a riverbed on dry ground. They saw God tear down walls with just noise. I mean, the, the walls of Jericho literally fell over from noise, and they were able to just walk right in and conquer this city. I mean, God did all these incredible things, but they were comfortable with God. And so they never passed any of that on. Notice that it says that they neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And so this first generation never passed on all those amazing things that God did. They never talked to their kids about it. Or if they did, they didn't make it a very important thing. They didn't, they didn't celebrate all that God had done for them. And so now we're left with a second generation that doesn't even know God. They don't even know the Lord. They don't even know what he has done for Israel. And with the first generation, we saw half-hearted obedience, right? But the second, we see none. They completely forsake God, and they follow after other gods. You see, the tendency over generations is really to move farther and farther away from God. Here in Joshua and in Judges, we see that with these consecutive generations, right? One was committed, and then one was comfortable, and then one, they just completely forsook God. And you can really see that elsewhere in Scripture, too. You see David, King David, who was committed to God, and then his son Solomon started out looking like he was committed, but then he compromised. He let his wives lead him astray, and so he became comfortable. And then Solomon's son Rehoboam, oh my word, he, com he just completely descended. He, he was not even close to God at all. He didn't know the Lord at all. It was under him that the nation of Israel was torn in half because of its sin, and they, they just completely descended into idolatry. It's a pattern you can see again and again, and tendency is just to move farther and farther away from God over generations. Even parents who are committed to God can have comfortable or even third chair children. And here's what's really interesting is that second chair parents very often have third chair children. They don't even stay in the second chair. Usually their children actually move farther away from God. And really, I don't think that should surprise us. If they grow up with their parents who are going through some of the motions of Christianity, they're, they're living this joyless life where they're going through the motions, but they're not actually walking closely with Jesus. They don't get to experience any of the joy that comes from walking closely with Jesus and the, 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 all the contentment and the joy and the peace that that brings. Why would we be surprised when they want nothing to do with that kind of Christianity? Why would we be surprised when they grow up and they leave the home and they never come back to church? If, if that's the Christianity that they're exposed to, why would we, we be surprised when they reject it? See, people in the third chair are people who are far away from God. They don't live for God, and most of the time they're not going to pretend to. Maybe they will here and there, maybe come to church every now and then if they grew up in a Christian home or they are in a culture that celebrates Christianity just a little bit. Maybe they'll do that just to make other people happy, but they don't really want anything to do with a relationship with God. They're far from him. And that's why that chair is a folding chair. See, non-Christian people are happy to sit and listen for a little while, but they want to be able to pack up their chair and leave whenever they want to, because they're not committed to God, and they're not really comfortable with God either. And so they, they're willing to sit and listen for a little while, but they want to be able to leave when they get uncomfortable. They want to be able to leave when they feel like they want to. These are people who, have, who don't have convictions like the committed, and they don't even necessarily have beliefs like the comfortable. They just have opinions about God and about faith and about the Bible. 
Opinions that don't really impact their life very, very much. And why should they if they don't even believe in God or if they believe that he's distant and uncaring? Why, why should they affect their life deeply? And while the committed are people who knew God and the comfortable knew about God, third chair people, they've only heard of God. Far from an intimate relationship with him, they only know a little bit about him. And what, often what they know is just lies that have been fed to them by the world. And you can think of the distinction between these three levels of relationship a little bit like this. I know a couple whose son is really good friends with Jason Momoa, the actor who plays in Aquaman in the new DC uh, movies. And so this couple, their son, he actually knows Jason. He's got a personal relationship with somebody who's famous, right? And so he actually knows Jason. Well, this couple, they know about Jason. They know him because he's famous, but then they also kind of have a distant relationship with him because their son knows Jason. Well, I am over here, and I have only heard about Jason. I don't really know him personally at all. I've never had, I've never, I'm never going to meet him, I'm sure, and I can't even really tell you much about him, although I do feel a little bit famous because I know somebody who knows somebody who knows Jason Momoa, so that makes me feel a little bit better, right? But I don't actually know Jason, right? I've never met him. I can't tell you anything about him other than that he plays Aquaman and that he and uh, John Lee and Jeff Hughes are some of the only people I think can pull off long hair as a man and look really good, right? They're some of the only people who can do that, right? So that's all about all that I know about Jason. I've only heard of him. But this couple's son, he knows him well. He's good friends with him. He actually became friends before they were even, either of them were even famous. And so he knows him well. And that's a little bit like what these, the, the, the levels of relationship are like. Comfortable people are people, or excuse me, committed people are people who actually have a close relationship with God. They know God. They know him personally. They know him intimately. But comfortable people are a step farther away. They know about God. They've maybe got a, somebody else who knows him well. Maybe their parents are committed Christians, and so they kind of feel like they have a, a relationship with God through them. But they don't actually know him well. And then people who are in the third chair, they've only heard of him. Kind of like they have about a, as good of a relationship with God as we have with any other celebrity. And kind of like how people can know a lot about a celebrity that they've never met there's people in the third chair who could tell you a lot about God. They could tell you a lot of facts about him. But they don't actually know him. They don't have a, a close, personal relationship with him. So here are some marks of people in the third chair. Third chair people do not have God as a priority in their lives. And why should they if they don't even believe in him, right? If they barely know anything about him. People in the third chair, the Bible says, actually reject God. Maybe they're not hostile towards Christianity. Maybe they're not hostile towards God, but the Bible would say that in their hearts, they have rejected the love that he has for them. Third chair, people largely ignore the Bible. They probably don't see it as God's word, and, and so they just treat it like they would any other religious text. Just like my life isn't really affected by the Book of Mormon or the Koran, their life isn't really affected by the Bible. And what's interesting is that the committed and the non-Christian the first and the third chair are the ones who are actually consistent in their treatment of the Bible. The committed consistently follow it. People in the third chair consistently think that it doesn't really make much of an impact on their life. It's the people in the middle chair, the people in the second chair who are inconsistent. They're going to pick and choose what parts of the Bible they want to believe, what parts of the Bible they actually want to live out in their lives. Third chair people want successful children. They don't want godly children. They don't want necessarily good children, but they're going to focus on success, whether that's in sports, education, finance, some other area. They're going to say, okay, I want my kids to be successful. 
People in the third chair often compare themselves to people in the second chair, those who are comfortable with God. And they'll say things like, well, at least I'm not a hypocrite like them. And that's why I don't go to church. It's because of those people, right? They're going to compare themselves to people in the second chair. And so that's the, the third chair, those who are not Christians. And so my question for you this morning is incredibly simple. Which chair are you in? Are you committed? Are you comfortable? Are you just not a Christian? And C.S. Lewis said something that I think is really a perfect challenge to help us determine which chair that we are in. He said this, If true, Christianity is of utmost importance. If untrue, it's of no importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. And so if you believe that Christianity is, in fact, true, then it demands your full commitment because the claims of Jesus are far too radical to say, okay, those are somewhat important, but I'm not really going to let them impact my life. The claims of Jesus are far too important for that. And so if Christianity is true, you need to be in the committed chair. But if it's untrue, I mean, go all the way over here. The claims of Jesus, they don't really matter. If, if Jesus isn't actually God, if Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, then just ignore him. He's just some other teacher. But here's what Lewis is pointing out to those of you in the second chair. You need to pick a side. You need to decide if you're going to live for God or if you're going to live like the rest of the world. Do you want life with Jesus or do you want a life without him? You stop straddling the fence trying to live for yourself and trying to live for God. It's a life that isn't worth living. He's pointing out that you need to pick a side. And here's my concern this morning. I, I fear that the vast majority of people who claim the name of Jesus are probably sitting in the second chair. And I'd be afraid also that there's too many here at Bridgewater who might also be in that chair. You see, the third chair is the, the default state of all mankind. We all start out far from God, right? But the comfortable, the second chair, that's the default state for anybody who's grown up in church or anybody who's been surrounded by Christian culture long enough. You're just kind of naturally put there. And so comfortable people want enough of God to blend in with the Christianity around them, but they don't want so much that it's going to impact their lives too much. And hopefully I've made it clear this morning that the first chair, the committed chair, is really the only one you want to be in. It is the only chair that actually gets a real relationship with God, one that brings peace and joy and contentment into their life that the world knows nothing about. Jesus said that he came to give us life and life to the full, but that comes from closely walking with him. Not from walking kind of close to him, but kind of trying to figure out how far away I can walk and kind of still do my own thing. That doesn't lead to a life that's full of joy. That doesn't lead a, to a life that's full of everything that God has for us. That leads to a life of division, where we're trying to, trying to live for ourselves and trying to live for God. And so I want to walk through each of these chairs and kind of give some take-homes for people in each chair. If you're, in the, if you're in the first chair, I want you to take some time today to evaluate your life and make sure that you are still actually living with full commitment to God. Is it possible that maybe there's some areas where you're kind of sliding back just a little bit into comfort? Take some time today to, to evaluate your life and think through that. And, and don't forget in that that you haven't arrived. 
Neither have I. We're all trying to be like Jesus, and we're all not quite there yet, right? So we've all got a next step to, to take, and maybe yours is turning around and help somebody, helping somebody else move from comfortable up to committed, or helping somebody who doesn't even know Jesus realize how the, the love that he has for them and, and helping them uh, see the truth of the gospel. But as you do those things, make sure that you yourself don't forget the gospel, don't forget that your commitment to God, your, or excuse me, your, your forgiveness before God has absolutely nothing to do with your commitment to him. You didn't earn your standing before God. You didn't earn your forgiveness from God. You didn't earn the love that God has for you. He placed that freely on you. And so as you work and as you do all the things that a committed Christian does, don't forget that God loved you before any of that stuff. And you're not earning anything with him. All that stuff that you do is in celebration of what he's already given you. It's not trying to earn it. So don't forget the gospel. If you think you might be in the second chair, and maybe you're just not sure, I'd encourage you to ask some spiritual leaders or some godly people in your life. If they love you, they're going to be willing to point out that you just might be missing it. And if you conclude that's you, determine that today is going to be the day that you move to the first chair. Today is going to be the day that you stop making excuses. Today is going to be the day that you stop trying to live for yourself and for God, but you're just going to say, no, I'm going to live for God. And here's the scary thing. I, I think God's word would indicate that if you're sitting in a second chair, you might not actually be a true follower of Jesus. Some of the harshest words in Scripture are towards people in the second chair. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Man, those are some scary words, because these people did some pretty amazing things, supposedly for God. But Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Only people who actually obey God are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know if you can claim to be somebody who obeys God if you're living half-heartedly for him. If you're just comfortable with him. If you only do what he says some of the time, when you feel like it, when it's easy, when it's comfortable for you. And so if you're in this chair today, decide to move to the first chair. Decide that you're going to be committed to God. Don't, don't waste your life on stale religion. It's a miserable life. Don't waste your life on stale religion. And lastly, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you know you're in the third chair. You don't really know about Jesus or the Bible or Christianity and, and you don't really know what it means to have a relationship with God. And I just want you to know that we are so glad that you are here. You're, you, this is a place where you don't need to pretend to be somebody you're not. You don't need to pretend like you're in the second or the first chair. You don't need to believe certain things or behave a certain way for us to accept you here. In fact, you, 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 you don't need to be afraid to come here with your questions and with your doubts about the Bible or about God. In fact, next week we're actually going to be diving into a new series called Can't Believe, talking about the reasons that people give that they can't believe in God. And so I'd encourage you to come back, to bring your doubts, to bring your questions, and we're going to look at what the Bible says together. So if you're here this morning and you're in the third chair, we want you to know that Jesus loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. 
He loved you so much that he was willing to pay the penalty that you deserve to pay for your sins so that you could have a restored relationship with God, so that you could be forgiven. He offers you life today, life with him, life at the, not just life in heaven, although that's pretty amazing, but also life here today on earth, life that the world knows nothing about. And so if you're here this morning and you, you've got questions, you want to talk with someone, please see me, see Pastor Matt, see somebody wearing a blue name tag or maybe a friend that invited you. We'd love to talk with you about how Jesus changed everything for us. And he can do the same for you. So church, we pray that today, if you're not already there, today would be the day that you decide to be someone who's in the first chair. You decide to be totally committed to God, not committed to Bridgewater, not committed to religion, not committed to some moral code, but committed to God. That is where true life is found. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he has made it possible for us to have a restored relationship with you. That we don't have to do anything. We don't have to earn anything. We don't have to perform a certain way. Jesus did all that for us. And we're loved exactly where we are and exactly who we are. And Father, I know that there are people in this room who are in each one of these chairs. And Father, for those who are already committed to you, I pray that they would walk away today being reminded of how much you love them and all the, the, the things that they do for you. They're in celebration of what you've already done for them. They're not trying to earn anything. And that they would walk away realizing that they still have room to grow. They're not yet like Jesus. Neither am I. And we've all got some next steps to take. And they'd pursue those and maybe bring some others along for the journey. God, for those in the second chair who... We're just comfortable with you. Uh, God, it's a scary place to be according to your word. And so, God, I pray that today would be the day that you open their hearts and help them to see that they need to move to the first chair. God, for people in the third chair, people who maybe are here and don't really know you, don't really know about you, they've only heard of you. God, I pray that you would help them see that you love them. And God, I pray that, that this would be a place where they are shown the love of Jesus like nothing else. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.